When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. In basketball, system is a loaded word. It immediately suggests complexity, premeditation, ideology. Every team wants to win, but running a system means wanting to win a specific way and adding another level of structure to make that happen. Most have kind of an arcane quality. If you want to coach the triangle offense, for example, you have to know these secrets of its lore. Those who do become the gatekeepers of that idea, and to hear it told, only they can implement this storied system in all its intricacy. Mike D'Antoni built something different. He's a champion for his own system in the same way that Phil Jackson stands by the triangle, but everything that D'Antoni has engineered, everything that his teams work for, is based on one incredibly simple idea. What if you just ran your best play every chance you could? Now, if you're familiar with basketball at any level, you're probably already bumping up against some reservations. But let's take this hypothetical out of the vacuum for a minute and ground it in the most watched, most scouted, highest stakes basketball league in the world. This is the NBA. Sometimes you'll catch defenders off guard over the course of a possession by reacting in a way they might not expect. But in terms of structure, there are no secrets. Ask D'Antoni himself. If you watch playoff basketball, everybody knows everybody's plays. And so why have a play? They know it, and you're not, you're not fooling them. And uh, so all we're trying to do is get the best type of situation. An entire system sprouted from trying to manufacture those situations. Think about the kinds of players a team would need to make that work. The spacing required to let the whole thing breathe. It takes a surprising amount of infrastructure to execute the predictable, over and over and over. D'Antoni found a way. Not only that, but he took this streamlined approach and churned out some of the best offenses the league has ever seen, all by devising a system that seems to break every rule. I'm Rob Mahoney, and you're listening to Breakaway. To really understand where D'Antoni is coming from, you have to understand where he's been. The ABA and NBA that launched D'Antoni's basketball career were a different world. 
The fastest teams today would literally be the slowest in the league then, even though the overall skill level hadn't really caught up to that style's ambitions. Ultimately, D'Antoni wound up playing most of his career in Italy before staying there to coach, and when he finally came back to the NBA for good, the freewheeling game he loved was gone. Every basketball system ever devised was, in its own way, a response to the call of the times. The fast-breaking offense D'Antoni cultivated as coach of the Phoenix Suns was no different. So I called up a member of the SI family to help set the scene for what D'Antoni was working against back then. Uh, this is Jack McCallum, former Sports Illustrated writer. I covered the league for uh, several decades. Jack also wrote the terrific book, Seven Seconds or Less for which he spent a year embedded with D'Antoni, Steve Nash, and the Suns. This is how he explained D'Antoni's stylistic breakthrough in the book. It wasn't as if D'Antoni had invented anything. Rather, he had re-implemented a run-and-gun style that had been popular into the late 1980s. It is astonishing the degree to which the casual sports fan has it wrong about the NBA. As with the perception that coaching is little more than rolling out the balls, the casual fan perceives the NBA as a bunch of listless underachievers running around aimlessly, tossing up bad shots, ignoring the rudiments of dribbling and passing, and treating defense as if it were to be avoided like the chipped beef special at Denny's. In point of fact, quite the opposite was going on. Too little running, too much dodgy offense, too many defensive schemes, an overcoached product that had removed much of the spontaneity of the game and put a premium on isolation alignments designed to get one player the ball and turn his four teammates into statues. That's what D'Antoni wanted to change. And so he became the prophet for the new version of run and gun. And Nash was the apostle taking the message to the masses. We have our best chance of scoring before the 24 second clock hits 17 said D'Antoni. That means they wanted to get a shot up in seven seconds or less from the time they got the ball. Much of that leaning was rooted in strategy, this idea that bumping up the tempo and shooting before the defense sets actually gives a team its best chance to win. Also in play, though, was a broader philosophy, a personal, defined perspective on the way the game should be played. An individual team's playing style, it it changes, uh, depending on the players you have. Right. Hard to argue with that. But D'Antoni is a coach of particular tastes, who prefers that his teams play a specific way. Fast, uh, quick pace, and that means a lot of different things, a lot of different teams, but just trying to find the best shots you can find and be the best defensive team you can be and try to get the most out of your players. The Suns were D'Antoni's proof of concept. Steve Nash had signed on with Phoenix just before D'Antoni's first full season as head coach, and it took all of a training camp to get the players up to speed on this uncompromising style and what was really a different way of thinking about the game. No one in the league was ready for it. Final minute, third quarter. Suns just keep coming at you and coming at you. Jackson again from three. Here comes Nash. In fifth gear. See how quickly they run? So quickly they run. They, they, it starts in the backcourt. Nash. And they're off to the races. Tough pass to Marion. 
Cloud kind of looks over his head coach and you want me to run with this team? Takes it down the lane, tipped out of there by Clinton Richardson. Well, Utah's going to be in for a world of hurt if they continue the pace that they're playing. Uh, they're normally a team that does not go at that pace. If they keep it up, they're going to be down by 20 in a hurt. The big shot. Phoenix will continue to run. Doesn't matter whether they miss or make them, they will run. Teams knew to get back in transition, but they weren't used to running back off their own makes. And it seemed insane that Phoenix would sometimes give up a layup rather than foul just so they could jumpstart their own offense. To make matters worse, opponents didn't really have that fear and respect of the three-pointer yet, which made the Suns an early adopter of a revolutionary weapon. They started the season 31-4. and They ended it 62-20. and As Nash put it, We just blew the doors off people almost every night. How did D'Antoni do it? He told everyone his team was going to run. He showed them that Nash would initiate a pick and roll almost every trip down the floor, and it became clear pretty quickly that the Suns would happily take threes other teams wouldn't. All of this was above board. The whole thing is completely predictable, and yet kind of structurally unstoppable. Let's break it down. Now, you do have some key things. You need a four that can shoot. And you need a five that can roll. You need spacing, and but most guys can space. We can find those guys, and they're out there. And maybe most important, you need a ball handler capable of thinking on his feet. Put all those elements together, and you're able to access this one incredible moment. Alvin Gentry, who was an assistant with the Suns at the time and now coaches the Pelicans, described it as the moment when nobody is guarding anybody. Here's Gentry with more on how to get there. It put pressure on uh, the rim protectors and, and with the addition of players who could space the floor, you know, you eliminated the rim protector because, you know, you just threw it out to a guy for a wide open shot. And so you had to make a decision, either I protect the rim or I guard my guy. And, uh, you know, most of the time they were caught in between. It works the same way with James Harden now that it did with Nash back then. The only difference is when the defense reaches that breaking point, the guy with the ball is not only a brilliant passer, but one of the cagiest finishers in the league. So the Rockets, like the Suns, don't really mess around with a lot of extraneous offense. They get the ball to Harden, they run pretty basic actions to get things moving, and they bank on the fact that there's just no consistent way to stop a superstar driving toward the rim when he has his man screened off and shooters all around. If the defense collapses, Houston will kill you with threes. If there's too much pressure on Harden, he can just lob the ball over the top. When you create these simple alignments with the right kinds of players, you don't need much elaborate setup. Remember, D'Antoni said that all his teams what are trying, trying to, to do, do is get the best type of situation. Those situations are dribble handoffs, uh, drags, late pick and rolls, early pick and rolls, whatever. Uh, those are the best. These are all variations of the same concept. What they have in common is the way they use discrete strengths, say Harden's driving and Clint Capella's ability to catch and finish at the rim, to pull up the defense from multiple angles. The pick and roll is the most well-known and the most obvious. A dribble handoff is just a supercharged pick and roll that starts in a different way. And a drag screen, if you're not familiar, is essentially a pick and roll executed in transition. Think that as James Harden dribbles the ball up the floor, Ryan Anderson might run over to screen Harden's man around the three-point line. 
all of the mechanisms of help and communication that a defense would normally rely on to deal with a screen aren't usually set up yet. Which makes that little device the perfect intersection of everything D'Antoni is looking for. We do know by analytics that the pick and roll is the best offense. We do know that in the first 10 seconds shot clock, if you can get a, a shot up, then that is the best. And so add the two, it's drags. That's why we do drags. That's why we do dribble handoffs. Uh, it's, it's impossible to guard. The system is simple and, like D'Antoni said, unguardable. And it's right there for any coach who wants it. All they have to do to make it work is the one thing that scares coaches most. They have to let go. Check out Open Floor with Andrew Sharp and Ben Golliver. I feel bad saying fire everyone after I talk about how much I like Vlade Divac. This is the way that I always do it when I assess GMs, right? If I'm going to call for him to be fired, what are the odds he's going to be hired again at some point in the future by another team? Is Vlade ever, ever <laughs> going to be a GM for any team besides the Sacramento Kings ever in the future? Yeah, that's a pretty damning way to look at it. Listen and subscribe to new episodes every Tuesday and Friday of Open Floor. Micromanagement is one of the most understandable impulses in coaching. There's so much random chance in every basketball game that it's hard to blame a coach who clings desperately to some kind of order. And for NBA coaches in particular, all the pressures and considerations and the unrelenting scrutiny only add to that need. If a coach is going to be made to stand at a podium to be judged after every loss, most would prefer to have shaped the game as directly as they could. So some call every play. They lock players into airtight roles with no exceptions. They slow down their team to get into a scripted offense. They burn through timeouts and they scribble furiously on a clipboard. Sometimes these things are called for, but imposing rigid limits also erases any capacity for surprise. It assumes that a player can't be anything other than what he's been and that a team of professionals can't balance and rectify problems in real time. D'Antoni doesn't buy it. The players, if you give them the freedom, um, then they will do remarkable things. If you don't, if you, you know, anybody can coach a player to be medi mediocre. I mean, that's not, that's not easy. But how can you coach them to be unbelievably great or do something no one's ever done where you got to give them that freedom? Autonomy is what makes D'Antoni's system really come alive. You take these guiding principles, the speed, the spacing, the patterns of movement, and you empower players to make decisions within them. There's no counter for the full scope of James Harden's read and react creativity. There's no scheme that accounts for all the outcomes. But you only get to that point by allowing Harden to make the calls and trusting the entire roster to stay in rhythm. Well, 
you know, the biggest thing was moving James Harden over the point guard. And that, you know, was done with some reservations. I, I didn't know it was going to work for sure. And uh, But you just kind of have a sense that's where he would be best. And uh, and obviously he's the driving force of the team. So you're trying to put him in a position every time where he makes a difference. Do that and the end result can be a revelation even to the architect. Harden is taking the system and running with it, doing things that D'Antoni wouldn't have known to ask for. No, he's he's unique. I mean, I don't I don't know. I've, I've, I've played like I said forever, and I, I have no idea what he's doing. I couldn't even think to coach that. I mean, that's talent. That's special. What makes that style of offense a system is its underlying process. Playmakers are shown the progression of reads available to them. Shooters rotate between spots to keep defenders out of sorts in their rotation. Good shots, bad shots. It, it's all defined. Even if, as a rival team's scouting report once said of the Suns, nothing is frowned upon. Somewhat contrary to the pace of it all, a coach has to be incredibly patient to rely on a style like this. But the end goal is to get smart, skilled players moving in concerts, all without looking over their shoulder every time they make a mistake. Something awesome can come from that freedom. You saw it with Nash, who won two MVPs playing for D'Antoni. You see it with Harden now, who looks like the frontrunner for this year's award. And there were all sorts of minor successes in between. Parse the game logs in New York and Los Angeles, which were D'Antoni's lesser coaching stops by any measure. And you'll find role players who overachieved when they were trusted to make their own decisions. I've had, you know, Chris Duhon set the record in Madison Square Garden, 22 assists in a game. He was great at it. Raymond Felton was having his best career ever at the point guard. Jeremy Lin was kind of cut from a few teams, and then he exploded. Hell, Kendall Marshall rode D'Antoni's offense to double-double after double-double. If the system can do that much for a guard who would fall out of the league in a couple of years, it might be doing even more to bolster a player like Harden than we realize. Harden is the kind of talent who could have succeeded anywhere. You just can't suppress the things he does well. But under D'Antoni, Harding gets to be the full-tilt weapon in transition and a shifty counter-speed measure for when the defense gets ahead of itself. Change of pace cuts both ways. Normally, that phrasing refers to players who go from 0 to 100 to help create transition opportunities. D'Antoni's offense does that already, so some of Harden's tremendous value lies in going from 0 to 100 to 25 to 75 to 40 to 100 again. There's just no pinning him down. There's a few of them, and he's one of the rare few that uh, can see things, can uh, make plays. Uh, he has a, you know, obviously has God-given uh, talents where he's strong. He's, uh, he has his own pace. They can't knock him off his pace. and. Uh, uh, but by drawing fouls and setting up other people and scoring himself, and uh, it's very rare to see that all in one player. It's it's remarkable. He's as a pick and roll guy, the best I've ever seen. I mean, he's, and Steve is unbelievable. So I, you know, you, it's hard to compare the two. But uh, uh, every coach should have the luxury to be able to coach those two guys. And Harden reaches that level because he's given these parameters of the system and then he's given the freedom to interpret them. The best systems are collaborative works. There's a reason Harden negotiates every pick and roll differently than Nash would have. To force both into the same box would take away too much of what makes them great. In the NBA, style is substance. 
Harden is defined equally by what he does and how he does it. So he took a role that already had this familiar archetype, and he made it entirely his own. That's also the story of Boris Diaw. Think back to 2005. We had just gotten our first glimpse of what D'Antoni's system could look like at full throttle. We generally think of Nash as the operator of that system, but on the other side of his pick and rolls was Amari Stoudemire. If the offense needed three-point shooting to space the floor, it also needed the threat of Stoudemire's dunks to balance it. Very quickly, Amari became the understood standard for what a center should be in a D'Antoni offense. He should have quick feet, great hands, and the athleticism to attack the rim from any angle. Diao went one for three. Yet when microfracture surgery knocked Stoudemire out of the lineup for the following season, D'Antoni and his staff penciled in Diao to start in his place. Keep in mind, to this point, Diao had been a shooting guard in the NBA. So the Suns would move forward with not only a player completely new to the position, but one unlike the vital finisher who had helped to establish their system in the first place. Somehow, all D'Antoni and his staff saw when they looked at Diao were possibilities. I asked Jack McCallum how that could be. Nobody knew exactly what he was. I mean, he's one of these guys, well, we can play him inside and he can post up, but he's really a point guard. And I'm, I didn't see this at all. I mean, I didn't see what they were going to do with this guy. Phil Weber was working on his shot all the time. And what they discerned, finally, I think they had to figure it out a little bit, was he was a kind of a different center they could put in from Amari. What he was was a mismatch. That's what Boris was like, the ultimate mismatch. Traditional centers couldn't hang with him. Smaller bigs could be sealed or scored over. Diao brought a new flavor to the role with a completely different rhythm. Stoudemire's game was all straight lines and emphatic finishes. Diao loiters. He'll catch a pass on the roll and then kind of rock his way into a post-up, but really he's just trying to attract some defensive attention. The end game is to make the pass to the open man, so he lingers in spaces that make opponents uncomfortable until they overreact. Ultimately, it all still fits within the flow and even within the tempo of what D'Antoni wanted to run. There's room for variation here, but just like how D'Antoni has to give up some influence to bring out the best in his players, those players have to give up a certain comfort to bring out the best in the system. Playing for D'Antoni means abandoning the post as a primary option. It means foregoing that temptation to hold the ball and to survey the floor and to bring everything to a grinding halt. For most of the great players in the game, that's a complicated proposition. It's a little bit scary. I mean, I think one of the things people don't understand about the game is how many great players with athleticism preferred to play slow because you have control then. I mean, even the Chicago Bulls didn't run up and down the floor the way teams did in the 80s. Now, you could argue that's a very sound decision because, all right, let's get the ball to Michael, even if the shot clock's running out. But... You know, there's a, there's a fear factor. When D'Antoni's system made for an awkward fit with the Knicks and the Lakers, it was for this reason. Carmelo Anthony didn't seem to want any part of the offense. He likes to face up and read an isolated defender. Same for Kobe Bryant. 
Dwight Howard grew tired of life as a role man and wanted to settle into the low post as a Laker. Pau Gasol was probably cast at the wrong position to begin with, but he also seemed to favor a more moderate tempo. These are great basketball players, but playing fast and loose means taking a plunge, something that accomplished, high-level professionals aren't always eager to do. You know, and to be fair, you know, they, they were successful a certain way. And they believe strongly in that, and why shouldn't they? They've been uh, compensated and and won that way. Why shouldn't they think that? So it's just it's just human nature. It's just it's just the nature of the game. Whatever you want to say, it's just the way it is, and it's no hard feelings. And I understand exactly. And I would probably be hard to change. Also, they have their beliefs. I have mine. And sometimes you just can't convince people that it works out. And no matter what, you just can't convince Antoni that it doesn't. More on that after the break. Check out the MMQB's 10 Things podcast. If I'm going to bridge, I want a journeyman 30-something-year-old QB, someone that's built some bridges elsewhere before. Mm, you I always know. say you do that. When you think I'm full of it or you just don't agree, you go, hmm. <laughs> I do. I give you You'd the You'd rather marks. have the interception machine, the inconsistent pocket-passing guy coming off the ACL injury who, who got in a fight with a teammate. I get it. That's, I, that makes perfect sense <laughs> to me. That's, I love all those things about him. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes of the 10 Things Podcast wherever you download your shows. No matter what a team is running, its success can be forecast by conviction. Professional basketball players will see right through a coach if he doesn't completely believe in the concepts he's teaching. That's never really been a problem for D'Antoni. Like Jack McCallum said in his book, D'Antoni was the prophet for this particular playing style. He knew what he had seen coaching overseas, and he knew what he had experienced playing fast. There was no shaking his worldview. And the one thing that links these coaches that have is what you would call systems is stubbornness. I mean, Dan Tony, who you've talked to him, nicest guy in the world, convivial, funny, personable. Don't tell him that system doesn't work. You know, don't attempt to do that. Because just as with Phil in the triangle, you have got to believe in it. You've got to be able to refine it a little bit. And maybe that's what happened to Phil's triangle a little bit. You've got to be able to make tweaks to it. But don't tell him that his philosophy of basketball doesn't work. Because he's going to argue that uh, until, his, uh, until his dying day. In D'Antoni's case, dissent came from everywhere. People all around the league considered the offense a novelty act. You heard snipes from opposing players about how the Suns weren't a fundamental basketball team. Even his own staff wasn't totally convinced it would work. Going into training camp, Alvin Gentry thought there was... No way that it could work. <laughs> I didn't think there was any way that it could work in the NBA. You know, I thought you had to, you had to come down, you had to drop the ball in the low post. You know, you had to have cutters, you had to do all of this kind of stuff, and, you know, and, and just didn't think it would work. But as the Suns started running, Gentry saw a system that, even if it didn't always work in the first quarter or the second quarter or the third, left opponents totally drained by the time the fourth quarter rolled around. No team was better prepared to operate at that blistering pace than Phoenix. So by executing this particular system, 
D'Antoni changed the framework of an NBA game. Every opponent had its own game plan to manage, its own matchups to sort out, and now the very real attrition of keeping pace with a team that would never stop. So I was a believer. I was a tr true believer after that. That belief has to be pervasive, not only throughout the coaching staff, but in the front office as well. NBA history is littered with losing teams that never found common ground. Running an explicit system only heightens the need for it. I mean, D'Antoni can adjust some of his ideas to a point, but you're not budging that philosophy. You're not changing his priorities. So if you want everything within the team to be copacetic, personnel moves have to be in alignment with the system on the floor. And a lot of coaches and, you know, no, a lot of general managers or owners or whatever, they, they kind of want to go this way. They don't have the exact same vision that you have. And, and so they're always kind of saddling you with, yeah, but you kind of need this type of player in case we do this. Well, there's no in case. We're not doing that. And what happens, and I think in any system, if you go halfway, you get your brains beat out. And you either fully embrace what you do, uh, believe in it, and go uh, full throttle, or you're going to lose. And NBA's tough. It's hard to win games. And um, I've been there where we couldn't quite go down the road as fast as I would like to go, and, and you get your brains beat out. As it turns out, Houston has no interest in half measures. You would never have looked at last year's Rockets and seen D'Antoni as a clear solution to all of that team's problems. But by shifting its personnel and refining Harden's role a bit, the Rockets became a perfect vehicle to carry out D'Antoni's vision. That's because all along, D'Antoni's system had been statistically sound, streamlined for efficiency. D'Antoni didn't have all the data at his disposal at first, but he still came to the same conclusion that Rockets general manager Daryl Morey did years ago. The best shots in basketball are three-pointers, layups, and free throws. If you're not familiar with the math behind that idea, I'll let Dan D'Antoni, Mike's brother, who actually is now the head coach at Marshall University, lay it out. This was Dan's response when a reporter asked after a game if he wished his team had worked the ball inside a little bit more. You're old school, aren't you? You know what? Hey, do you watch the NBA ever? Well, you see those top three teams, Golden State, do they work it in? Does, hey, my brother Houston, biggest turnaround, do they work it in? Listen, that game, my opinion, obviously, gone. You go get any computer and run what the best shots are, they'll tell you a post-up's worst shot in basketball. So if you want to run down, try to get it in there to shoot over somebody then you're beating analytics. So, you know, uh, the best shot in basketball is that corner three. Next best shot in basketball is any other three. That's, no, that's, that's you, go, you go get in and read them out. Other than free throws, which we try to do, get to the foul line, because you score 1.5 points every time you go to the foul line in the pros. If you can get to a layup and it's, it's clean, it's not one that's highly contested, it's 1.8. It's 1.3 from that corner, 1.27. You know what a post-up is? Over top, a guy standing like this, 0.78. So you run your team down there, and we'll see how long you stay with teams that can play the other way. And true to form, the Rockets rank dead last in the percentage of their offense used in the post. I don't know. I just, you know, we go by the numbers. And a great post player posting up is one of the worst offensive plays you can have. So... Sorry, <laughs> it's not that I'm, I'm like, oh, wow, you know, I'm trying to do something different. It's just not a good play. 
So Houston works toward a higher return on every possession. In a single season, they've gone from a pretty good offense to one of the 10 or so best on record. Harden can turn any close defensive pressure into a shooting foul on command. Only a handful of teams get more shots at the rim than the Rockets do, and Houston used its cap space this summer to sign Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon, who take and make a ridiculous number of three-pointers. The Rockets are on pace to shatter every record for a three-point shooting volume in NBA history. Nearly half their shots come from beyond the arc. And for the first time in D'Antoni's coaching career, he's actually the moderate voice in the room on this subject. Houston is as curious an organization as any in the league, and finding the extent of three-point shooting efficiency just happens to be an area of particular interest. You know, I'm lucky here in Houston because we got a management and owner and star player and, and other players that uh, have bought in. They want to play this way. So now it's now it's just you can push the envelope as far as you want to. You can be creative. And then, you know, Daryl and uh, his staff put together a lot of shooters. And it's just, it worked out perfectly. And we went down the road and, you know, we started off, I, don't know, I used to take 33s and then be worried about maybe it's too much. You know, we had 61 the other night. And it's like, now you can just, like I said, you can go as far as you want and push the limits and know that uh, management's backing you, the players love it. And uh, uh, so it's it's taking shape. And, and you get scared a little bit. You know, you're thinking, oh, do we have too many shooters? We don't have enough defense. Do we have a, you know enough ball handlers? Are we okay with this? And, and then the season works out. Just think about that. D'Antoni was the defining figure of the NBA's first three-point revolution. Now his new team is pushing the limits on the second wave, taking upwards of 53, spotting up four or five feet behind the line. D'Antoni's Rockets are testing the limits of a perimeter-oriented offense. Last time that happened, D'Antoni's system incited a tidal shift. Conceptions of pace and space were stretched to maximize the pick and roll just as the NBA tweaked its rules to make defending the drive more difficult. An entire league took notice. In time, at least four different franchises won titles by adopting elements of D'Antoni's system. The Rockets would be a long shot as a potential fifth, but they're just ambitious enough to push an inspired system to its logical conclusion. You know, I don't know how far we can go. I don't know if, you know, we can win everything, but uh, you can give it a good shot. Thanks for listening. Breakaway will continue in two weeks with another exploration of the NBA world. Subscribing through iTunes or your favorite podcast app is the easiest way to keep up but every episode will also be available on si.com. In the meantime, please help us spread the word to anyone you think might enjoy this podcast and consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Every single one really helps. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to breakawaypod at gmail.com or you can find me on Twitter at Rob Mahoney. And if you haven't already, pick up a copy of Jack McCallum's Seven Seconds or Less. It perfectly captures the D'Antoni sons and might be even more fun to read now as a look back in time. Jack is also working on a new book called Golden Days, 
It's a comparison piece between the modern-day Warriors and the Jerry West Lakers, using West himself as the connective tissue. Keep a lookout for more information on its release. Breakaway is produced by Alex Abnos and Rob Mahoney, with special thanks to Ben Eagle and Matt Dollinger. Until next time. <laughs>